Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Yes, we're back, we're black, we're brown, ambition. I did a condensed version. Hey, Mantra. Hey, have you survived coronavirus gate 2020? Are you you out there? I'm calling you from my bunker (laughs) in the suburbs. First of all, a friend of mine went to Costco yesterday. She's like, you want to go? I was like, sure. It was midday, midday. Mm. And people were buying water as if like, you know, it was the end of the world. I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, people. Listen, don't judge because that was me and my mother at Sam's Club <laughs> Saturday morning. So we made the mistake. We we talked about the coronavirus on last week's show. So let's touch on that. Last week, which seems like a long time ago in terms of coronavirus news, the market was tanking. Like yes. and our the headline for the show was when the coronavirus comes for your 401k. And I wasn't kidding. My 401k is down 8%. Thank you very much, coronavirus. Appreciate it. And we talked a little bit about why the coronavirus is moving the markets. Obviously, China was ground zero for this virus and the spread of it. And there's tons of U.S.-based companies and products from U.S.-based companies that are made in China. And there's concern about like even the iPhone, for example, having the parts that they need to make the iPhone that everyone buys. And so the economic impact could be really great. And then what if people, what if it gets um, in the U.S., what if it spreads so much that people aren't able to go to work anymore? So there are real implications. And right now there is no cure. There's no vaccination. And the U.S. (laughs) government maybe isn't the most reliable when it comes to their response to this, or maybe investors don't feel like there's a real strategy or plan in place from the government right now at, at the federal level to handle this type of pandemic. So investors get spooked. There's not really a ton of confidence that we'll be able to contain the virus. And you see the markets move like they did last week, which, yeah, it can definitely impact your investments. I don't know if you saw anything from your portfolio or if, Tiffany, you were smart and didn't look at all, which is probably I did. a better I, response. I lost like 900 bucks, but, you know, we've also rallied. I mean, the last time I checked, the... Um, Only the, 900? The, 900 bucks. Well, no, well, 900 bucks from my, my Robinhood. Oh, uh, you account. checked Robinhood. Oh, yes, yeah, okay, so I, gotcha. I didn't check like my bigger accounts. I was like, you know, Robinhood's where I buy my individual stocks for fun. And I was like, oh, I lost 900. So to, for context, that's about 10% because I have about $9,000 in there. So, you know, not a little bit of money. But I will say this, that my um, my doctor, I was asking her, you know, she said, honestly, that the coronavirus is not by nature deadly. That because what you're seeing is they're reporting every death, but if they were to report every daily death due to the flu, 
we'd also be equally as freaked out. That SARS, when remember when SARS was a big thing? She's like, that was a deadly virus that was really dangerous. And she was like, Corona, think about Corona. She's like, the way you would think about pneumonia. She's like, Tiffany, you're, you know, you're relatively young, you're healthy. If you were to get pneumonia, now would we be concerned? Yes, because pneumonia is not a good thing to get. But would I think Tiffany's going to pass away? The likelihood is minimal because you're not 80 years old. She's like, now if your dad got pneumonia, we'd be very concerned. So Mm -hmm. it's the very young the very old and those with compromised immune systems. And so, but they're reporting every single death. So it just seems like another and another. And the truth is people, someone died today from tripping down the stairs, but they're not reporting that. You know what I mean? So it's like putting into context that less than 2% of people who contract the coronavirus are actually passing away. It's, it's, that's relatively low. It's just because right now the, the media is fanning the flames of fear because it's, you know, it's good for business, but it's not... It, she's like, it's not a deadly virus. It's, I mean, obviously it's not something that you want to get, but there are viruses that are way more deadly and and um, that, that she's like, I would be concerned about. Yeah. And I've I've listened and read, listened to lots of um, interviews and tried to read the most, what's the opposite of fanning the flames and like the opposite of alarmist, just really like matter of fact, researchers, healthcare reporters, people who are genuinely not trying to cause a panic to see what they have to say. And The fact is it is deadlier than the flu in terms of like the rate of people who are dying from the coronavirus. It's something like Tiffany said around 2% versus the flu, which is like 0.1%. But obviously the flu is a lot more widespread. People are just concerned because there's not a vaccine for it. And it's, you know, people don't really show symptoms. So you can be walking or may not have serious symptoms. It could be mild, like you have a cold or, you know, like a mild flu. And you may not know it's a coronavirus. And in some states, there's not like enough tests right now to figure out like a diagnosis. And it's just very early stages. But largely what the experts have been saying, obviously, you're not going to get your like healthcare and science news from Brown Ambition. But I will just say like, based on what I've heard, the best thing you can do is wash your hands. It's very basic advice. Wash your hands, use your hand sanitizer, don't touch your face. Don't shake hands with people if you don't have to, you know, good old fashioned fist bump or elbow bump (laughs) or just like a nice nod and a, you know, a little wink that that'll do it. Just really good hygiene. Don't go up and buy surgical masks. You probably can't even find them anyway, because they're all sold out. And healthcare workers, or if you're caring for someone who's sick, those are important to have masks. But for the general healthy population, it's not really going to potentially protect you to wear those masks. And if you're like me and you have the option to work remotely, consider it, especially if you're in a, like, for example, in, in my county, there's confirmed case. And I am really seriously considering not commuting because I don't necessarily have to. And is it worth the risk to yeah. commute? And it's not even about, it could be the regular flu. And I don't want to bring that home to my to my baby. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of like the the impact to your finances, I'm trying not to watch my 401k. I'm on the younger side. So of course, most of my investments are in the market because they say you have time to bounce back from any downturns. And it's true, like already the markets have recovered a little bit. And I genuinely feel like I'm just going to, you know, grin and bear it. I'm not making any, I'm not making any changes. I fully believe that eventually there will be a vaccine and we'll get through this just like we have swine flu and West Nile and all other stuff. Ebola. Um, Yeah, Ebola. And, but for those of you who are, you know, looking at your investments or your 401k, just, uh, you know, consult your financial advisor, your investment advisor, if you have one. But personally, I am trying to just consider this another blip 
and keep my eye on the prize, which is long-term retirement growth and not short-term trading. So I'm, I'm staying the course. Honestly, what what historical data shows that that after some of the worst days of the of the stock market come some of the best days, like about two weeks later, within the next two weeks. Meaning that, let's just say you have like the we had like we and we did we had like some of the biggest drops since the recession. But if you were to pull your money out during the drop, and then two weeks later, like we're rallying now, you know, like the the stock market is is bouncing back now. Your money is now out, so you cannot, you've already experienced the loss, but now you can't experience the gain. Mm -hmm. So that's why they tell you really, it's best, quite honestly, to relax. And the truth is, like, my mom called me, oh, should I move my money? I'm like, no. Should I sell? No. I was like, mommy, you are in retirement, and your strategy should be such that that you should be invested conservatively so based upon your age. So my mm-hmm. dad is 75, so he shouldn't have 75% of his money in the market anyway. So right. if he has like the ideal, which would be about 25% in the market and then 75% in like bonds and, and, and more conservative investments, there's nothing to move. You're already balanced in your investment. So yeah, so basically just reiterating what, what Mandy is saying is that the key is that you do the work beforehand for things like this, which is to have your investments balanced, which the rule of thumb is that you take your your age in bonds. So I am 40. I should be 40% in bonds, 60% in stocks. And when I'm 50, I should be 50% in bonds, 50% in stocks. But do you see like, so yeah, mm-hmm. I say all that to say like not, you know, not jumping in and out, like unless you're trading, like, like our friend Tila, she trades. So she's looking at the market differently, but for long-term investing that, um, you know, you don't have to run and jump and there's always going to be something. Yeah. And that's why I'm I'm still going to be a fan of that target date fund. I don't have to yes. think about my age. I'm just like that yes. 2055 fund will just take care of me and, you know, recalibrate as I get older. But it is smart at least once a year to look at your investments if you're not in a, in a target date fund and, you know, consulting an expert investment advisor to make sure that you're properly balanced and you're not taking on more risk than is appropriate for your age and your your timeline. But it's okay. so much, I mean, the, the you know, obviously you want, you know, my thoughts are with the families impacted by this. It's got to be really terrifying to be quarantined in your house with this weird new virus. But in terms of like the psychological impact to investors, it's always fascinating to me just the conversations people have about their finances around like like the market downturns like this. I'm always just like, I'm like, oh, what type of people are going to be the ones to like call up their eventual advisor freaking out and who's going to, you know, stay the course. And yes, as a great recession baby who started her 401k in 09, I really took, I mean, I was fortunate, I feel like, to start investing then because it was like everything was on sale. It was all very cheap and the market was, you know, on the on the decline. And over the past 10 years, I've got to experience all those gains. And I try to just tell myself that story again. Like there are ups and downs and just remembering that and looking at what history, you know, tells us and not trying to listen to what so-and-so on CNBC or whatever Bloomberg is saying um, for today. Yeah, agreed. Wash your hands, people. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> 20 seconds. Sing the ABCs while you do it. Yes, okay? literally. <laughs> I, it's so funny when I taught preschool, I used to have the kids do that. That's how they would know that they washed their hands long enough. Preschoolers have better hygiene than a lot of adults out there. I see y'all. <laughs> yes. I am the bathroom. Like, I am trying to, I tried to grab the bottom of, the, my, my trick is to grab the bottom of every door handle because I figure more people will touch the top of them. And I'm like, I'll I'll reach down awkwardly to the subway pole and try and grab like the lowest part of the pole I can without being, you know, into a pretzel just just to save myself. But 
Yeah, definitely. Hand sanitizer within an inch of your life, you guys. <laughs> All right. What else? What else is going on? How's Molly Moore? Did you you hit your fundraising goal? I did. Boop, boop. Now we're we are in uh the stretch goal. So I told myself for every I did the math. So our fundraising goal was thirty-five thousand dollars. And what that meant was I'd be able to give um, donate a thousand books to children in low income communities and to hire four financial literacy um, experts and, and educators to write some free curriculum uh, for for children um, so that I can put it on the Molly Moore site and donate that right back to y'all. And now we're almost at forty thousand um, oh, dollars, which is awesome. So people are still donating. Yes, which because we're doing so something dope. called yes yeah, stretch goals. So with the stretch goals, what that means is okay. For every additional five thousand that I raise, I did the math. I can donate an additional two hundred books. So mm. instead of just a thousand books, now we're about one thousand two hundred, and I can hire one additional teacher. So I'm excited about that. So if you haven't already, you can still go to mollymore.com. Even if you're listening to this five years from now, mollymore.com, you can just buy a book. Um, but if, if the Kickstarter is still live, if you go to mollymore, M-A-L-I-M-O-R-E.com, you can contribute. And not only do you get a book for yourself, but you can also help make this world more financially literate. So I'm excited. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. It feels like on the other side, I'm like, whew. Oh, Molly, like we should do a whole Kickstarter episode about like what it takes to like, you know, do a successful Kickstarter or fund like a crowd raising, crowd fundraising. That was really like an interesting, I'd never done it before. So there's a lot of things I learned that we, you know, it was just a really good experience because I feel like we learned a lot. We didn't do everything right, but we did do right, you know, was enough. But I learned a lot. It was definitely big learning lessons. Well, if you guys have any stories of crowdfunding or questions about starting a crowdfunding campaign or things that worked for y'all, feel free to send them in. You can hit us up at brandambitionpodcast at gmail.com or shoot us a note on Instagram, brandambitionpodcast on Instagram. Um, Also, we have a website, brandambitionpodcast.com. You can ask us anything there, which gets us um, your messages as well. And speaking of that, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and answer some of your questions for this week. Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. All right, guys, we are back and ready to tackle your questions. Again, hit us with your questions. You can wait, hit us with your questions. Hit us up with your questions. <laughs> Brand Ambition Podcast on Instagram or uh, sorry, the gram. What do, what do people say? IG. 
Um, or email us directly, brandonmissionpodcast at gmail.com. We have a really interesting question from a listener named Esther, who's in the Peace Corps. First of all, thank you for your service. Yes. That's amazing. But she's about to leave the Peace Corps. So Esther says, I joined the Peace Corps in 2018 after graduating college in 2017. I'm now reaching the end of my Peace Corps service in April. Since being with the Peace Corps, I was able to pay off one student loan, but I'm still faced with my Sally Mae and federal student loans, which total up to $40,000 altogether. Because of my low income while I've been in Peace Corps, I was able to defer my federal loan, but of course, interest has been accruing. And my Sally Mae loan is a whole other monster. Now with Peace Corps coming to an end, I will not have a steady income to repay my loans. And I'll be given a small lump sum of money after leaving the Peace Corps, about $7,000. I'd like to move, but I'm planning on only getting a job for a temporary period of time, probably a low-paying job, and I feel like there's no way I'm going to be able to pay back my loans. Do you guys think I'm setting myself up for failure? How can I begin tackling my student loans? Whenever I think about it, I panic. Would it be smart to set up an automatic withdrawal from my savings to my student loans? Please help me. So you do the right thing. You graduate college. You want to give back. Join the Peace Corps. But you're right. While you're in the Peace Corps, you're not obviously making a ton of money, if any Mm -hmm. at all. And you come back and she's going to get a small, what they call a readjustment allowance, $7,000 that she could use for whatever. I can see her hesitation, though, like taking that $7,000 and chipping away at $40,000 worth of debt. Is that the best use of yeah, You know, that readjustment allowance. And if she only plans, you know, if she thinks she can probably get a job, but nothing that's really high paying when she comes back, she's feeling like, how am I going to be able to tackle this debt? Well, my question is, what, what was her name again? Esther. Esther. So my question is, is loan forgiveness available because she joined the Peace Corps? Because I know like when I was a teacher that student loan forgiveness was available to me because I was teaching. And if you're, you work in like certain rural and urban areas, there there are all of these like available, there are all of these ways that you can qualify for student loan forgiveness. So I, I don't know. I'm honestly, I I don't know much about the Peace Corps. So is there a way I would definitely look into that? Like with the time that you spent there, can that be put towards student loan forgiveness? Because all of my loan wasn't forgiven when I'm, when I did it, and I and I did it retroactively, so I was able to go back and say, "Oh, well, you know, this is the time I spent as a teacher." And they, I think, uh, I want to say uh, maybe like mm, fifteen to seventeen thousand dollars or something like that was taken off my student loan. So I'm just sharing all that to say that, like, looking into that as well, forgiveness because of your time served. Yeah, the the thing is, she doesn't mention what industry she'd be working in either. But you're right. If there's a if it's a public service industry, you know, it's these federal forgiveness programs are only at, like they're only in effect for as long as the current administration wants them to be into yes. in effect. So let's say she comes back and she joins a nonprofit or works for the government. Ostensibly, she could qualify for pub, something called public service loan forgiveness. But to be honest, that program has really turned out to be kind of a dud for a lot of people, like way too complicated. Some people are getting denied even though they did the right thing by going into the right job sector because the government kind of did a funky job of setting up the whole process. But like, so it's not to say that loan forgiveness isn't a possibility, but definitely you'll need to do your research and make sure that you're following all the exact right steps so that you potentially can qualify. And since you don't tell us what industry, it's hard to know if maybe you'll qualify for 
some of those programs that are out there. But in general, so let's just pretend, you know, you're like, you you know, you've just, you travel, you're coming back with $40,000 in debt, you're, at, you know, wanting to get an entry-level job. You're not unlike every other college graduate out there who's sort of looking down at this, you know, big pile of student loan debt and not sure what to do. The good thing is, you know, you were able to defer your loans. You weren't just like missing your loan payments this whole time and letting, you know, late payment fees and all that kind of other stuff add up. So you're done the right thing. With your federal loans, I'd say the first thing is get on an income-driven repayment plan. So they'll base your payment, which could be as low as $0, depending on how much income you have, on whatever income you're earning at the job you get when you come home. And if that's no job, then they'll base it on the fact that you're not employed right now. That'd probably be the first step. As far as that readjustment allowance, that lump sum that you're going to get, if you don't have any savings and it sounds like you don't because you say that you're hoping to build it up, I almost feel like taking that 7K and immediately kind of using that on your loans, I don't know if that makes the most sense. I wonder, like, I feel like you kind of need, you're going to need a savings cushion just to, you know, inoculate yourself from you know, any other setbacks so you don't have to take on more debt to pay for something that might come up in the future. So part of me is like, definitely pad your savings a little bit, maybe take a chunk of that 7K and make a payment on that Sally Mae loan. If you think that'll move the needle there and keep you out of, you know, out of, um, God, I can't think of the word. What's the word when you miss a payment? Um, default. Default, yep. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> like delinquency, what? Um but I don't, yeah, I mean, what do you think, Tiffany? I mean, $7,000, it's a chunk of cash. But part of me is like, she's just starting out. She needs a little yes. bit of cushion in her savings. And that would give her a little bit of a boost when she I, comes back. I absolutely agree. I don't I don't think throwing $7,000 toward the student. Let's just say you owed $5,000 in student loan debt. I might be like, eh, slightly tempted. But the 7000 not to say 7000 is not a lot of money because it is, but throwing it toward 40 when, you know, right now you likely don't have any cushion, you're looking to move. I honestly would put that money toward toward securing a place to live um, and, and, and an emergency savings account just in case um, whatever job that you're looking for doesn't come around quick enough. Um, and then going back to repayment when you have a steady income coming in. Yeah. And again, you're not unlike a lot of college grads. And $40,000 sounds like a ton of money. It's about average for what most college grad. I mean, sadly, it's about average for what most, most college graduates have um, coming out. And it's not, it's, it sounds like the most money in the entire world, but it is so doable. Um, all you have, the, the best thing that you can do is obviously not ignore those payments. Um, call your student loan servicer, ask about income-driven repayment plans, um, get your payments adjusted so you can afford them, and then just focus on getting that job. You know, when you get back to the States, the good news is that you have a bit of a cushion with that readjustment allowance, which some people may not have. And hopefully you don't wait too long to get a job, but, you know, you're you're not ignoring your student loans as you get your, you know, your feet on the ground and start, um, you know, start laying the groundwork for your career. Mm-hmm. All right, Miss Esther. Well, thank you for your service and thank you for your question. Yeah. I, you know, I considered joining the Peace Corps like right after graduating, but then I decided, you know what, that I would donate like kind of my time by teaching preschool in a low income community. So that's good. You know, it's sad because the recession, for what it's worth, I mean, one of the results of the Great Recession was that a lot of people like entered into AmeriCorps and Peace Corps and like because they, you know, there weren't jobs, 
So there were more people going into these service-oriented programs that the that the government has. And I have a friend who works for AmeriCorps now, and he had done AmeriCorps in the years after the recession. And, and he's a recruiter, and he's struggling. Like, they struggle to find people now because the economy is good, and people are more likely to get jobs. So it's kind of like the benefit of a downturn is that there's a lot of young people who need work, and they're more likely to take those jobs. And since, you know, the economy's made a comeback, there's less people for those you know, the Peace Corps and programs like that. So it's great that, you know, there's still people volunteering, but not as many as before. Yeah, no, it is. Alrighty. Well, let me take one more question. This is, this is an easy, you know, this is an easy question, but I also think it's an interesting time to answer it because savings rates are not what they used to be just even a few months ago. So this is a question from, we'll call her Lisa from okay. Instagram. Lily. Lisa. All right. She says, quick question. I'm sure you've answered this before, but which savings account do you recommend to get the most interest today? Or what should I compare when looking into a high yield savings account? Thank you for continuing this great podcast. So the reason I think this is interesting, obviously with savings accounts, we're, you know, we've, we've talked about the banks that we're fans of because they have high rates, but I have been a long time fan of Ally and they they tend to have, if not the highest, one of the highest savings rates. But like a lot of even the high yield savings rates out there right now, my rate has been on the downturn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like every other week it's like, sorry, we're going to knock off a tenth of a percentage point from your rate. And the reason is that the Fed, if you have been paying attention to what the Fed has been doing, they've been cutting interest rates. And when they cut rates, typically, to make things simple, banks lower the rate on savings accounts and other deposit accounts like CDs. So now that rates are going down, you're seeing your savings rates going down too, which is womp womp, not so great. But still, like online banks like Ally tend to have the highest rates As far as I know, I can post a link again to a couple of sites where you can easily compare rates. And I definitely think that you should because there's so many banks out there that, you know, even new banks that weren't around a couple of years ago that are offering much higher rates than what you get from like traditional banks these days. And just being mindful, that's why I I was just, uh, I just spoke at the Jackie Robinson Foundation like this past weekend. Humble brag. And, but I was, I, I always, always, always point everyone to magnify money when looking for a bank. And I tell them this is a criteria FDIC insured because you want to be able to get at least some of your money back should that bank go under. What I like about magnify money is that they give you clear grades. You know, an F is not good. And don't nobody want no C bank. So you're looking for an A. So looking for a bank with an A, looking for a bank that gives you the highest interest rate. And then you're also looking for a bank where they have a low required deposit in order to get that interest rate and to keep that account open or even to open that account. So if you look for those four criteria on magnifymoney.com, you should find a bank that's best for you. Yeah, 100%. You don't want any minimum balance requirement. You don't want to pay fees. You don't want to have to pay, like the best, one of the things I love about Ally is that they reimburse you for ATM fees. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a really common way that banks can get you these days or with those ATM fees. But there's other ones too, Capital One 360. My brother, I think, signed up for the Marcus Savings Account through Goldman Sachs. There's, I think, Robinhood's launching its own like cash management savings account. There's all these new ones out there. So, I mean, you know, I will support Tiffany's endorsement for Magnify Money, even though technically <laughs> I work for them. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll post a link to our page where you can look at savings accounts. And if you, this is a good opportunity, even though rates are on the downturn, like they're still way higher 
rates out there if you're still banking with that old brick and mortar bank. Like it's it's time, you guys. It's time to try and find a better rate and make more money on your savings if you can. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you guys for your questions. Again, brandambitionpodcast at gmail.com. Or shoot us a question like Lisa did on Instagram. We're brandambitionpodcast on the gram. And now it's time to boost a break for all our family. Family, get it? Friends and family? Got it. Will you boost? Will you break? What you going to do, Mandy? I am going to do a boost for a little something that is called RSUs, Restricted Stock Units. Not to bore you guys with more acronyms, but this is something that came up especially if you're at a publicly traded company, one of the ways they can sometimes incentivize you, and this is stuff that I wish I knew when I first worked, when I first got my job at Yahoo because they gave me a bunch of RSUs and I had no idea what they were. And I find myself now as a manager having to explain to people on my team, like, here's this really cool benefit that we have um, and people don't know what they are or how to use them. So when you work for a publicly traded company like Apple or whatever, sometimes they will give you like a batch of restricted stock units. What this means is they're going to let's let's say they give you 100 shares of the company. They may have they may say, OK, stay with us for a year and we're going to give you these 100 shares in a year and you can decide what to do with them. They're going to what they call vest. Investing means they become available to you to sell or trade or do whatever. And what inevitably happens when RSUs finally vest is people are like, what do I do? Oh, man. Like, And this happens to me, too. Like, You usually have like a window when you can trade. So if you're an employee of a company, you may have vested stock, which means you can now, you know, technically sell it if you wanted to, but the company can control when you can sell it. And like inevitably it may happen that the stock goes down all of a sudden and now it's time for you to sell them. And people are often like, oh man, I'm going to hold on to this stock because I think the company, you know, will be doing better next year and I'm just going to hold on to it. And people sometimes ask me, you know, what do you do with your RSUs? And the way that I try and think about RSUs, because I don't have a huge appetite for playing the market. Also, I don't want to have a ton of my investments tied up in the company where I work for. So the way that I've approached RSUs over the years is whatever the stock price is, when those RSUs finally vest, which means I can finally, like I said, cash them out or trade them or whatever, I get rid of them. I'll sell them and I will add them to my, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll trade them for like mutual funds or whatever else I'm invested in because I don't want to have a big portion of my investments tied up in one single stock. And I think because people work for the company, they're more like sometimes they feel like it's safer, you know, just to keep the money where it is. And But would you really have so much of your investments tied up, you know, in just one single stock otherwise? Like probably not. And a lot of experts would say that's probably not the best idea. So my approach is to sell them and use them to trade for mutual funds or invest in other areas. And it's really hard because like I said, you're watching that stock price. And if the stock goes down, when you get those RSUs finally vested, you feel like, oh, I just want to hold on to them. But again, I just try and think of it as like, this is money I wouldn't have had otherwise. So I am just going to sell them, get rid of it, and just make my peace with it and not try and, you know, play the market with the company where I get my paycheck and also where now I have stocks. So that is your, what I hope was a quick, easy explanation of RSUs. 
And if you have RSUs, don't ignore them. They're a really cool benefit, but you should know what to do with them and what they really mean for you. No, that was that was good. I never quite honestly, because I guess I never worked for a publicly traded company. So that was good for me. I'm like, hmm, learning new mm, things. That's how they so. trap you. <laughs> I could see that. I'm sorry, incentivize you. Yeah, incentivize (laughs) That's the right word. No, that was good and helpful. So I am actually going to, this is like a hybrid boosty breaky. Um, Have you heard of the honeypot and the scandal that's going on right now? No, but tell me. (laughs) So honeypot is a, um, it's a black woman owned company. And you know, Target's been going hard in the paint for us Browns out here, which I love. Target? mm -hmm, During Black History Month. I don't know if you've been, if you've been watching TV a little bit, but it, the commercial, they have all these really great black history kind of commercials where they're, oh. um, they've been showcasing like all of these black brands. It, that's what was happening in February. And if you went to Target, they had like a black history section. So anything, it, it's just been honestly just a black and brown love fest over there at Target. So this woman, her name is Beatrice. And I met Beatrice before, Beatrice Dixon. She and I sat on a panel at Essence Fest like two years ago. She's super nice. She started this company called Honey Pot, which creates like vegan, safe health and beauty products for your Honey Pot, if you know what I mean. I don't. What is a Honey Pot? Is that a euphemism for something? Well, feminine uh, beauty hygiene products. Is it for the vagina? Yes. Okay. <laughs> What are you saying? But what's a honey pot? Yeah, so, okay. so um, she said it's <clears> for <throat> the vagina. <laughs> yes. Your vagina. Um, got it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she's got this really great ad that was on TV, like I mentioned. And in it, she says, you know, it's just, it's been so awesome to start this company, especially for for um, young black women, like, like a black woman like me, to be able to do something like this. Girl, the racists came out. They came out and they were livid that she, they were like, is this a product just for black women? She didn't, she literally said for a black woman, I'm I'm really proud of myself as a black woman that I've been able to accomplish this. She didn't say the product was for black women. She didn't say anything else. She literally just said, this is what I am. As if to say, I, I honestly, my mind is blown. Haste, like racist came out in droves and Trustpilot is this website where I, I've used Trustpilot before where you can kind of, it's like Yelp, but for business, yeah. well, Yelp is for businesses. Like, so, yeah. mm-hmm. Right. So they came out and they were giving her one star reviews. And where did she say her- this? Like, where did she make that statement? Um, she, it was her it was her ad. But you can go to YouTube and type in Honeypot. Oh, Target it was like ad. one of the Target ads. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So gotcha. it was on TV. And I don't. And the thing is that I've been seeing the ad for a while. I don't know why all of a sudden out of the blue. It just like because the ad's been running almost like I feel like all February. But then literally the last few days. I don't know if a popular racist got a hold of it and showed it. And people were like, I'm never going back to Target again. But, you know, they all say that. And they, the, what was really bad is they, they purposely tried to tank her business by giving her one-star reviews on this well-respected platform. So much so that Trustpilot had to disable your ability to leave reviews. Seriously? Mm-hmm. What, Which so, I've never seen. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, what were people taking issue with? Just the fact that she made a product for That's, women of color? She, yes. And mm. so she, no, 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 she didn't make, she, she didn't make a product for women of color. She said in the ad, basically referring to herself as a woman of color and how this is like a big deal because, you know, being a woman of color, like being, having this opportunity to 
create a product like this is a big deal. She didn't say it's for women of color. People are literally writing, black girls are, are empowered using this product. I guess white girls aren't. I'll be letting Target know about this racist company. This is what people are, are like posting. Oh, God. That's but like people who say, would you ever, would they ever allow a show called White Ambition? The show, this, this yes. brown ambition is racist. <laughs> yes. Get out of here. People are just like, I just couldn't believe. I, I mean, I can't support a company in good faith that is openly racist about their customers. She didn't talk about the customers. She literally said what she is. I just honestly, I sometimes I just, people can really be so terrible. But on the brighter note, sisters have been coming forward for her. This is why I love brown and black women. So I'm in a, in a group called, and you guys have heard me talk about Build It, Brand It, Launch It by Arsha Jones. And so that's when I first heard about the story. And BuzzFeed News actually picked it up just recently today, actually. But um, I saw that someone was like, we need to help the sister out. They're leaving these really negative reviews because of her ad that that's not racist at all. Um, it's actually empowering. And she doesn't say it's for black women. She says it's, you know, she doesn't say anything about the product being for anybody but women. She just refers to herself as a black woman. And just even saying I am a black woman is offensive to people because how dare you name yourself? And so we all went in and started like, well, the we started to overwhelm the system with positive reviews. And before you knew it, within like 24 hours, it was less than less than one percent with these negative reviews. And we had w- turned the tide. Yes, it was like this rallying point. Like all these other black women entrepreneurs were like, oh, hell no. So Dixon, um, Beatrice, uh, she launched this. It's a plant-based feminine hygiene line. Um, She launched it in 2014. And as a result of all of this like hubbub, she reported to um, BuzzFeed News that the company's retailers have jumped 20 to 30% since the backlash. Oh, her sales. Yes, isn't that crazy? Mm. Free press? Hey, Exactly. No Um, No press is bad press, right? Here's the thing. I just don't know how you can look at this commercial and say that it's racist. She just says, this is who I am. I created this line. And as a, because it's clearly to celebrate Target is doing this like black history celebration. And as a black woman, I'm really proud that I was able to do, do a thing. That mm-hmm. was it. Not, not this product is for black women, not anything else. I, honestly, I, yeah, <sighs> I just don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Well, she's laughing all the way to the banks, what it sounds like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honeypot. So like, okay. Yeah, honeypot. So I'm going to check you, them out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. I just I just don't know why why there are there's a sector of white people that if you say the word black, it's like, how dare you? How dare you? Are they even? I can, is it even like white people? Is it like Russians? I mean, I feel like sometimes it's just like bots out there. And Ooh, haven't there true. been bots that just will, will like try and stir up, not like stir up controversies on social media, like just to like pit people against each other? You, you know, it's it's scary, but that can be true, too, that it's just like these, you know, just like these social media manipulators online trying this to. This is true. Yeah. Trying to like create drama or like create a problem where maybe wouldn't otherwise be one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is true. And I'm not, I'm not white people, obviously, in general. Just there's a sector of of just trolls who like I just and you're right to your point it might be five people who have figured out how to hack the system to leave negative reviews because these five people are mad but it's just a shame that like but I've seen it like if I say something I mean I've seen it for myself if I say something about black then it's like oh well I mean Jesus am I not a black woman I'm not allowed to say as a black woman like, well, why can't you be a woman? I'm a woman and I'm a black woman and I'm a tall woman. And I'm, I, I mean, I'm a woman with natural hair. I, it's like, 
I don't know. It's almost on, sometimes it just feels like existing and admitting to your existence is offensive to some people. And I'm just like, honestly, what I love is that nobody cares. Like you can kick rocks. Nobody's here for it. That just as visceral as your reaction is to be negative, like it's just the same visceral reaction that those who support um, will come. And if, if not more so. So I just love the fact that despite all this, that bitch, just like I said, she's super nice. I hosted a contest of like black women entrepreneurs at um for Ford for Essence like two or three years ago. And she was one of the black women entrepreneurs and um she had an amazing business. And I just remember being like, wow, that's awesome. Super just like really kind personality. And yeah. And so just to see that despite this negativity that came her way, you know, that, you know, it was turned around and used for good. So and I love that the fact that um Target a Target spokesperson, they they reached out to BuzzFeed News and said that they're aware of some negative comments, but quite honestly, that most people are overwhelmingly positive about the feedback that they've given Target, and they love and they're proud to work with Beatrice, and they're you know they just will continue to highlight her. So I'm just glad that like despite that negativity, it's yeah. like you know it's just it's just disheartening, and I hate that you know. Well, Target's smart to realize that they need to capitalize on. Um, black women and what a huge business products, you know, and obviously any product can be for anybody, but there was like such a gap in the market for products for women of color and Target's one of those places, you know, you can go over, I know I can go and get like all the natural hair products I need. They just, they're hosting uh, Taraji P. Henson's new hair product line. They're running, they're, they're like exclusive for having her new product line. I love that. Um, yeah. At Target too, which I haven't tried, but you know, kudos to Target for, for supporting, um, yeah, for supporting entrepreneurs of color and mm -hmm. to Beatrice for getting a boost in sales despite all the haters. That's lovely. Yeah. I'm going to go haters. give her a positive review. <laughs> exactly. And I'm going to buy some honey pot, even though, I mean, I don't know. I've never used like specialized stuff. I need to know the... what this honey pot does. Let's see. Yeah. Lord knows <laughs> I could use some refurb down there. You know what having a child does. Your no, but mother. honestly, <laughs> there's a bunch of different products. So she's got yeah. like cleansing products, wipes. And honestly, I was like, yeah, I think that for those interested, for sure, take a look. They actually have them at Target stores. I've seen them myself. So, yeah, I just think that I think that it's an awesome product line. And it's I'm glad that, you know, that it turned out for better. But, yeah, this is just funny. because, Like you said, it's totally free advertising for her. But. Yeah, she said she's not taking it personally, but I don't know. I don't know. It, things like that hurt my feelings. So we're all human. So I just can only imagine what it what must have felt like at first. So, mm. yeah, that's my brown. It's a it's a boosty breaky where it's like a break with like, oh, child, the racist and the trolls. But then the boost like, yay, she came out on top. Love it. That's a good way to end the show. Mm -hmm. Love it. All right, guys. Well, thank you for another week. And we will be back next week with a new show. Yes, Lord. All right, bye. Go to mollymore.com and donate. Yes, yes, mollymore.com <laughs> donate. Thank you. Right. Have bye. a good rest of your week. Bye, Tiff. Bye bye. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.